Let me talk to you first about Heinz baked beans. The relationship to singleness will become clear. But if you look at a Heinz, any Heinz product, baked beans, tomato ketchup, whatever tickles your fancy, you notice the saying, the little phrase. What is it? 57 varieties. When it comes to singleness, it is not a one-size-fits-all thing. It is not just Bridget Jones sat eating ice cream, despairing and depressed of her single condition. Singleness is a much richer, vaster spectrum than Bridget's. It is the young and single, but it is the old and single. It is the restless single. It is the recently bereaved single. It is the divorced single. It is the single Christian man who, wrestling with same-sex attraction, is seeking to live a life of faithful celibacy for Jesus. Singleness is a vast spectrum. It is, I've not counted them, but 57 varieties. Uh, It makes my task tonight hard. I'm not going to cover every issue, not going to answer every question, not going to address every situation. Singleness is a big topic. Uh, That spectrum is not only large, but it is also increasing. Uh, Our social cultural context has changed. In 1970, there was estimated to be about 32% of the UK society single. In 2005, that had risen to 50% single. Now, society has noticed that and has reacted. So, manufacturers, marketers have targeted that particular demographic. So everything from holidays to the size of portion you can buy in a supermarket to how you can get a mortgage is particularly honed for those who are single. It's a good thing. The church, however, maybe this church, however, is maybe a little outdated and out of touch. Singles can find churches, this church, a very uncomfortable place to be. Uh, Churches can be very family-dominated. We run family services. Our Sunday school is seen as a mark of faithfulness and fruitfulness in ministry. There will be frequent announcements about the most recent birth, the most recent engagement or marriage. Uh, We'll fly a mustache over from the States to do a whole conference on marriage. Uh, So our, our infrastructure can be very focused at families. But even our theology can be good at the marriage level, but not so hot at the singleness level. So we've... We, we know to talk about marriage as pointing beyond itself to tell us something more about the story of Scripture. So we can talk eloquently about the marriage relationship as pointing beyond itself to Jesus Christ, his love in the cross, laying down his life for the bride, the church. 
We know that. We can talk about that. We can pray for the Christian husband that he would lay his life down just as Christ did for the church. When it comes to singleness, we're not quite as well thought through. In Charlotte Chapel, when we did our last census kind of survey in 2002, it came back that 51% of those who took part in the survey registered as either single, separated, or widowed. We ran a marriage conference for the minority in our congregation. And yet so much of what we do is targeted to that slight minority. So the church can be a very hard place for singles to be. Uh, They can be exploited as babysitters to allow you to go out rather than utilizing their God-given gifts for the edification of the church. So my aim tonight is to begin a conversation in Charlotte Chapel about how we can encourage and help uh, those in our congregation who right now find themselves as single. It is not a gift that we choose. It's not for us to determine, I feel gifted to be single for the rest of my life. If you're single tonight, God has sovereignly given you that gift. And he asks, what are you going to do with it today? I hope that tonight we can trace the storyline of God's words and pick out the particular things that apply to those of us who are single, but also to see with joy the parts of God's story that can shine more brightly through a single person than they can through a married couple. So hopefully you have one of these little sheets that I appear to have lost this will tell you roughly where you're going. This may be useless, it may be helpful, um, but that's roughly where we're going tonight as we kind of run through Scripture and at points try and apply some of the things to our current situations. Let's start at Genesis 1. Scene 1, page 1. We find ourselves in marriage and procreation. Some of you will know the story. Adam and Eve created by God and given the same command as the animals. Genesis 1 verse 28, be fruitful and increase in number. He then says, a man shall leave his wife, leave, leave his husband, leave his mother and father. We're getting there. It's going to be a long night. Leave his father and mother, unite to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that obedience to God's command and enjoyment of his blessing comes through marriage and procreation. To obey God and to enjoy blessing meant making babies in Genesis 1. Now, as you trace through and scroll through the pages of the Bible, you pretty quickly get to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God makes a promise, a covenant with Abraham, and he says, I will make you into a great nation... I will make your name great, and to your offspring I will give the land. So blessing from God is intimately tied to offspring. The extent to which Abraham's offspring will flourish or fade will be the extent to which blessing comes or goes. 
blessing comes through babies. Now, for Abraham and Sarah, that got tricky when Sarah was barren. But God, in faithfulness to his promises, provided a son, offspring for Abraham, and so blessing came. Blessing through babies. Do you understand that so far? Now, hopefully, and undoubtedly if you're single, you're saying, hold up, this is hard. And the Bible acknowledges that. See, this traces through the pages of Scripture so that if marriage and procreation are the, not only the way that blessing is achieved, but the result of blessing, what happens if you're single? Where are you in God's story if you're single? What if you're a barren woman, can't have babies? What if you're a eunuch? That is, that you, for religious reasons or societal reasons, have been castrated to be dedicated to a particular task. What about you? Well, actually, it means that you are potentially cut off from blessing. In Judges chapter 11, we get this story of a man called Japheth. You can read the story later, but we find that Japheth's daughter, his only child, is going to die. And she asked her father, Japheth, she says, Dad, please give me two months before I die to go out with my girlfriends into the hills to mourn for two months. And he says, fine. So two months, she just goes and she weeps and she weeps. Why? Not because she is going to die, but because she will never marry. If she dies, then her family, her dad's name will be cut off and there will be no blessing for that family. Now, if if you're single tonight and you came expecting to be encouraged, that's not a great application, is it? Right, head to the Pentlands. Mourn, weep for two months. But you need to feel the weight of this, the, the conundrum of this, to see the beauty of what comes next. That we come through the pages of Scripture with weeping at the potential of being cut off from blessing. Now, enter the prophet Isaiah. If you've got a Bible, turn to Isaiah 54. On the Church Bibles, page 741. We meet in Isaiah 54 a barren woman, and she sings. Now, you, you may expect, given what we've just seen, that this song is going to be a dirge, a lament. You know, it's Coldplay esque in its sound. But look at what this song sings in chapter 54 of Isaiah. Sing, O barren woman who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy. You who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right, to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. 
a barren woman singing for joy, getting house extensions left, right, down and up because she is going to have more offspring than the woman who has been in labor. That's interesting. Where did that come from? Now turn over two more chapters to Isaiah 56. We read from verse 1, Maintain justice, do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. My righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. Now a eunuch is that man who has been castrated, basically neutered. Now you know even if you've done basic chemistry that if you've been neutered, you're not having kids. So, verse 4, this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. The barren woman gets more. This eunuch gets better. A better name than sons and daughters. Where did that come from? Well, math tells me that before Isaiah 56 and before Isaiah 54 comes Isaiah 53. In Isaiah, God has made promises time and time again that he is going to give a son. A son that's not going to come through physical procreation, but is given as a divine gift. So I die nine, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. And by the time we get to Isaiah 53, this divinely given son has become a suffering servant. We can scan down and we can see this suffering servant is going to be one despised and rejected by men in verse 3. In verse 4, he'll carry our sorrows. In verse 5, he'll be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He will give us peace by taking our punishments. And in verse 6, our iniquity will be laid on him. But look down at verse 10. Never really noticed this before. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. A son given by God who will suffer and produce offspring. God is doing something new. There is a new paradigm at work here that says Abraham and his physical descendants were only pointing to this divine given son who will produce his descendants, his offspring, not by sex, but by suffering. Not through marriage and procreation, but through a cruel death 
in the place of others. That's why a barren woman can immediately sing. A eunuch can be blessed more and better through this suffering servant. It's talking about Jesus. That Jesus in his death is producing sons and daughters and giving to those who were previously cut off from blessing the blessing of salvation and becoming his offspring. Now, as you progress into the New Testament and you get to a verse like Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, and you read these words, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That is good news. Because what God is doing in this world is not coming just through marriage and procreation, but those things were just pointing to what God is really doing in His Son, Jesus. He is bringing blessing to those who were once cut off. He is bringing life to those who only deserved punishment. And how do you belong to His offspring? By belonging to Him by faith in him. That's why Acts 8 is really sweet. Who is it? A eunuch. Someone who would have been cut off. What is he reading? Isaiah 53. Isn't that interesting? He reads Isaiah. Peter says, this suffering servant is Jesus, that if through faith in him, you can know life. A eunuch receives a blessing better than sons and daughters as he meets Jesus Christ. Now let's pause there and apply, uh, specifically to those who find ourselves single today. Where is your identity? Culture will tell you that a large proportion of your identity is determined by and hangs upon your relationship status. It's on the Facebook page. Single, married, engaged, it's complicated. The world will tell you that uh, you are only a half until you receive a better half. Actually, this reminds us from God's story of salvation that your identity is not found in union to any spouse, but in union with this suffering servant, in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not a half until you receive a spouse. You are nothing until you receive Christ. But in Christ, you lack no good thing. That's good news. Union with Christ, a reminder of our true fundamental identity. He was smitten for me, struck down for me, pierced for me. Everything that he is and everything that he does is mine. He is my identity. Now, that is a comfort, I hope, in and of itself. But it's also a responsibility. Here is one of the things that... If you are single, you can wonderfully put on display to God's glory, to a watching world. 
You can look at single friends, maybe who don't know Jesus, who are clamoring from relationship to relationship, trying to find satisfaction. How distinctive if a Christian single person can say, I am content in Christ. I need no other. What a witness that is. Not saying that it is easy. You can remind those of us who are married that our fundamental union is not with an earthly spouse, but with that suffering servant. He's our identity. It is to be united with him. Uh, we, we live amid a world that thinks along the lines of the movies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin or The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel that says whether you're 40 or 80, the answer to your singleness is found in sex and relationships. How distinctive to say, no, my identity is found in union with Christ. That is more precious, more lasting than anything else. Uh, let's keep moving in the story. Because as you progress in the storyline of Scripture, uh, Jesus starts to redefine things. So Paul says, to belong to the family is to belong to Jesus. Jesus says exactly the same thing. You know the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says to Nicodemus, you need to be what? Born again. What matters is not your birth, but a second birth. Not physical procreation, but actually ultimate blessing is going to come through spiritual regeneration, being reborn. It's a big shift. So that the eunuch or the barren or the single is not cut off from God's blessing or family, but actually anyone can be born again. Jesus says, whoever believes in me shall not perish, shall not be cut off, but will have everlasting life. He's creating a new family. And so he completely redefines it. There are provocative words in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. Come with me there if you've got a Bible. Jesus completely redefines how we understand family. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, page 978. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who's my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus says allegiance to him is more important than allegiance to any physical family. That is the defining mark. If that is who your fundamental identity is, your family is completely wrapped up with him. 
your brother and sister in Christ is closer than your brother or sister in name. Now, that is another helpful application for those of us who are single. What a family. Uh, The church is family, created by this suffering servant. A multitude of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. The single life in Christ is not lived in isolation, but it's the good news of being wrapped up in the family of God. Now that, that's a comfort and a challenge again. It's a comfort in that the single life is a hard life to live alone. That might be an obvious statement to make. But to know that you don't live it alone in the church family is good news. There are particular struggles that come to single people. Um, Bereavements and the constant anniversaries of important dates. Um, When you get to that stage where every single friend is getting married, you're buying dress after dress for wedding after wedding. Um, living a life of sexual purity for Christ. There are pressure points in the single life. They are better lived in community in God's family than in isolation. Here are your brothers and your sisters, your mothers and your fathers. But here's a challenge. When it comes to bearing spiritual children you are at no disadvantage to anyone else in this building. The Apostle Paul, a single bloke, refers to himself time and time again as a father. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, I became your father in Christ through the gospel. If you're a single Christian, you are at no disadvantage to bearing spiritual children than anyone else in this room. Paul says again, 1 Thessalonians 2.7, I was like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Who could you be a mother to? I love in Romans 16 when Paul talks about this guy Rufus, he says Rufus's mother was like a mother to me. She would have been a cool woman to me. This woman who mothered the apostle Paul. Who could you be a mother to? Who could you be an uncle to? A spiritual brother or sister in Christ. A name better than sons and daughters. Eternal brothers and sisters. You investing your life in these eternal relationships, bearing spiritual kids, rearing, raising, encouraging, comforting, writing to spiritual children. We had a guy who came to faith in Christ this year. One of the big distinctive things for him in coming to Christ and in just loving being a Christian was that he now has, he says, at least two Christian grannies. That's class. That's church. We're family. You're at no disadvantage to anyone else in this room. 
church's family because your identity is in Christ. I challenge to the rest of us, let's be growing extended families. Let's not let our families be just defined by who we're related to physically. Let's get in amongst it. Let's get people in our houses. Another distinctive witness to the world. One guy I read on this said, why not try and make sure you always have an odd number of seats at your dinner table? It's a good little piece of advice. With a church family, who are you mothering, fathering, sistering or brothering? I don't think they're words. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, one more thing that Jesus redefines. Not only redefining the family, but he then speaks about marriage. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus is confronted by these blokes called the Sadducees who come to him asking a question about marriage. Three times he gives the same answer. They ask, Lord, uh, there's this guy. Uh, he has a wife. Um, he dies. Another one comes, 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 he dies. Whose wife shall she be in the new creation? you know what Jesus says? He says you're in error because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. He says to them in Matthew chapter 12, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they will be like the angels in heaven. Marriage is only for this age. It's momentary. It is temporary. It points to something that is eternal, but itself is momentary. It is passing. So for those of you who are single in Christ, you can know that although you may not have a temporary bridegroom, you have the eternal one. That though you might not be involved in the momentary marriage of this life, you are in the eternal marriage of the groom of grooms. That although you may not be in the present picture, you are in the eternal reality. It's a case of weighing the balance of time in the scales of eternity. Focusing your eyes on the bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the return of Christ is described. The bridegroom is coming for his brides. Christ is coming for the church. It's a wedding feast. It is a consummation. It's your bridegroom. Your wedding feast. Your consummation. Our consummation as the church of Christ. So the single life must be one that is lived for eternity. Knowing that these days are short in comparison to eternity. So how do you live between now and then? Well, devoted to the bridegroom Christ. Let me just speak briefly about two potential dangers for the single person. One is to worship the idol of dependence. One is to worship the idol of independence. Let's do independence first because it tends to be a blokey one. Single guys, uh, men, can sometimes wrestle with independence. They like the idea of 
expendable income, time to do with what they want. And so they live a life not devoted to Jesus, but devoted to self. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, we'll get there next week, says life is not meant to be lived devoted to self, but devoted to Christ. That is the unique privilege of a single person. So men who are single, can I encourage you, implore you to live devoted to the bridegroom rather than devoted to your independence. Say, I'm living for him, not for indulging and enjoying the self. Uh, The idol of dependence can sometimes, not exclusively, be a more female idol. It is a life not necessarily devoted to self, but to that future partner. Uh, the one who's going to make me complete and satisfied, the one that when I get my hands on him, uh, then I can start serving God. Then life will be good and perfect and I'm ready to go. Again, it needs to be not devoted to a potential future reality, but devoted to the bridegroom Christ. Using the unique gifting of singleness to display to the church, to the watching world, what true devotion to Christ looks like. That shows that you're forsaking the idols that this world lives for and is devoted simply to him. uh, Independence and dependence overcome by union with Christ, devoted to him. There are things that a single person can uniquely display the glory of God and the treasure of Christ better than any married person. It's good news. More. Better. In Christ. And so I hope that both in our infrastructure, in our theology, in our day-to-day life as God's family, we would not just have a good theology of marriage not just care for those who are married, but that with both hands, we would be displaying the diversity and the richness of God's kingdom as those who are waiting for the bridegroom, the groom of grooms. Identity, family, for eternity. Let me pray.